0: On this week's RSP cast, Wayne McFarlane of PFF, established the run in the fantasy hustle podcast, joins me for a conversation that's a little bit more broad reaching. It um, does have applications to fantasy football, to scouting, and also applications to um, really just everyday living, I think. And it was a fun conversation that that we had privately that we decided to share some of the the thoughts from it um, in this particular podcast. So the beginning of it, you may hear it. It doesn't really have anything to do with football, but you'll see that it does tie in um, and we find ways to tie it back into the draft evaluation of players um, doing projections and the, the, the craft of drafting players. It's not just about, doing the research but also getting practice at the actual performance of drafting both for the NFL and for fantasy players so hopefully you'll find this to be an interesting podcast especially now that we're at a little bit of a lull um where there's just some mini camp news and training camp won't is a few months away um and the draft is over but uh appreciate you listening um, we certainly enjoyed ourselves having this conversation. Hopefully you will as as well. Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Walden with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This is an edition of Scout Talk that's going to be probably a little different from the ones that I've done in the past. For one, I'm doing it with Dwayne McFarland this week, which is nice, you
1: know. It's nice to have you back, Dwayne. Yeah, thank you. And I mean, and I don't, I'm not much of a scout, so <laughs> that makes scout talk. It's definitely going to be different.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different from that perspective. But I think it applies as a scout talk podcast because, you know, we got a chance to catch up over the weekend and thought this would be a fun conversation to kind of play out on a, on a pod because one of the things that I'm often asked as a scout, and I think it translates also to – someone who does fantasy work, and I know it has to you and you found, we kind of found a connection with that, as well as just other spheres, spheres in life, is that you know, the value of gaining perspective, how one does that, because I'm often asked about, well, what's your process for spotting mistakes? What's your spot process for you know, improvement? How do you get better at what you do? You know, how do you go about doing that? And everyone's looking for like a recipe. But I think right. what we discovered is maybe, you know, it's something that everyone kind of inherently knows, which is it's a little more organic than that. And you've had an interesting, you know, I met you. If, for those of you who don't know, I mean, you know, Dwayne, Dwayne wrote for me while he was on a sabbatical from his company and then you know, as he was increasing his profile, he's always been very well known as a as a highly competitive and successful high stakes fantasy player um but he kind of he started deciding and want to get into the the sphere of being an analyst and you know within a year he was he was hired by pFF you know pretty much i would say I, maybe i don't have the the exact timeline correct two years two years yeah. <laughs> two years. But yeah, still one
1: year was football guys. And then it was, um, I guess it was actually almost three. Cause then it was, uh, ETR. Then it was PFF and yeah. I still work. So I work for ETR and PFF now.
0: Well, maybe in Matt years, as opposed to like actual human <laughs> years, that's probably what it is. Hey I, man, it did fly by. So it, it felt like a year. It sure <laughs> did. But you know, you've had a, you've had a, you've had an interesting perspective that you shared. And I thought it'd be fun for us to kind of talk about it. So, I mean, w- You know, talk about that sabbatical that you took, why you think that's like impacted your work as an analyst as well as someone, you know, outside of the analyst sphere of fantasy football, but in other areas
1: of your life. Yeah, man, it's definitely impacted, you know, all the areas of my life because, um, and I think a lot of people have this same challenge is when you're in the day to day and, and the role I had, um, at my organization before I took my sabbatical was very demanding. It was very rewarding, but it was also very demanding. Um, and so there were a lot of great things about that role, but it was just a constant. Um, you know I, I was having to be you know literally it's like what the ne- what's the next thing you know we're we're getting done so for those of you that don't know i mean i work um in the healthcare sector i work for a really large company about half the hospitals in the nation um work with us and submit their data to us and so at the time i was really running um you know our supply chain data and analytics so, so everything being sent in from those members um, you know, we would build out tools and different things to help them better use that data basically, um, you know, to drive, you know, costs down to, you know, you know, we were getting focused on outcomes, all sorts of things. So anyway, as you can imagine, I mean, that's a, it's like a very quick moving space. Um, you know, there were a lot of different products that I was over. So I just found that I was constantly, you know, busy (laughs) really. Um, and and with like important stuff, constantly being pulled into all these different kinds of meetings and things. And so, when I took my sabbatical, what was really interesting about it is like, um, as, as my, you know, end date from work, you know, began to get further and further away, like around the two to three month mark, really, without me even really thinking about it, like, I just, I started having, you know, these, you know, reflections, right, because I was separated from it. Um, and I would even call people, you know, from you know, work that I used to work with, people that were on my team or that were my peers um, and just say, hey, you know, I was kind of thinking about this and I've had time to be away from it. Um, And it just, it's kind of a light bulb went on for me um, that like one of the lessons and and it's this continued to happen, you know, throughout the sabbatical. Um, My takeaway from that is just that, you know, I have to find time to make sure that I'm giving myself the space to reflect. And I, I think, you know, so I, what I've really tried to put into practice is, that's every day, right? But every day is only at a certain level. You're really just reflecting on certain things through the day, but then, you know, your week, your month, your quarter, your year, you really should be, you know, reflecting on all those things. So the way I kind of look at it, um, you know, as you take that time to reflect and you separate yourself, like, so for me kind of think of it as um, reflection, And and the more time you give it like equals different levels of elevation (laughs) of how up you are up looking down now on your situation. Right. And and the more time that passes, I just felt like the better I could see the whole picture. Right. And really put things together end to end, Um, which is the challenge. Right. When you're in a role where you're consistent, you're consistently being asked to perform and produce and do all these different things but it's still a strategic role and finding that time to be strategic. Um, and, and what was interesting is, you know, I just, I wasn't really blocking out like enough time to have that kind of space. I was doing it. Um, but I wasn't very protective of it. You know, if somebody else needed something, I would let that get bumped off of my schedule. So like now coming back into the workforce, which I've been, you know, for over a year now, um, I've just been much more protective, right. Of that time of making sure that, you know, knowing that this is actually going to make me a better, you know, employee, a better person, um, a better teammate, um, a better leader, better peer, whatever. I mean, for me really, you know, at all the different levels, but that time, you know, equals that elevation. So kind of the forest for the trees thing. Right. But at the same time, the other thing I think that I got from it is, and I'm a pretty, I can be pretty competitive. And I also, Like one of my faults as well as my strengths, I would say, like it it helps me and it hurts me. Um, You know, I really like to have strong relationships like with the people I work with. So like I actually do care, right, if we've got this relationship. Now, it doesn't always work. I can't control, you know, other people's, uh, you know, emotions and thoughts. And sometimes, you know, you, you may not be on the same side of an issue and different people react differently, right, to different things. Um, but I really do want to basically get along if I can pretty much with everyone I work with. Um, but I also am very passionate, you know, about my role. So the other thing I found was it just helped me kind of depersonalize, you know, um, because I was so close to things and I probably had biases to those things. So taking that time to be able to step back, not being so close, working on it every single day. Um, I was much more open to thinking, man, you know what? I was wrong about that. (laughs) You know, thinking back through it now, um, I should, I would have done this differently. Right. And I think we hear that kind of thing all the time. Right. People ask you, what would you do differently? And the problem I think is they ask you that like right after something happens, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's hard to answer that question right then, but you know, a week, two weeks, a month, two months later, um, you know, as the time goes by, I think you can better and better answer, you know, that, that question. And I think the last part, like when you can take time, so, for example, with fantasy, what I found, um, it was either 2016 or 2017. Actually, I had my best fantasy season ever. I had two teams in the top 500 of the Football Guys Players Championship. Um, you know, I did really well. And that was one of those years I was super busy um, at my company. So I couldn't do a lot of the things people are used to me doing now, right, whenever they – whenever they engage with me and all the data and all the different things that I have, I had that stuff, but I didn't have time. I literally didn't even do projections in either 2016 or which, which year was Kamara's rookie year. I it was think, that was it. Year. I think yeah. it was 16, I think. Yeah. So, um, or 17, I didn't even do, I didn't even, was it 17? Yeah. I didn't even do projections that season, but what's interesting is like, as I sat down and started to think about, I started I just started looking at ADP and started looking at where people had different, you know, players, and I immediately just like started spotting where I thought all the value was. And what's interesting is all those years of doing all that research, even though I didn't specifically do my projections that year, it was still basically there, right? Yeah. Um, the and, the, and the, the, weird. the
0: skills you acquired from it.
1: Right. And and what's interesting. Is it may have even it made me better because you know I wasn't zoomed in on any one thing because a lot of times what I have to be careful of is I implement new things each off season right I try to because you try to tweak it you try to get better well sometimes I can get overly focused on that thing right and lose sight of like the big picture Um, but that year like I wasn't really tied to just certain players but I definitely had like a my my draft strategy was really good like just thinking about how to draft where the right pockets were what's the right strategy how to pivot during the middle of the draft um and i also just didn't find myself you know um you know i wasn't worried like when i didn't get like certain players that i may have really wanted right if you go through the whole process of doing your projections and everything and you got these certain guys and not say that's wrong right that's how you win fantasy championships you you draft guys and Rounds four, six, seven, eight, and nine. That next year will be in the first two or three rounds, right? I mean that that's essentially how you do it, right? And you just you hope you can avoid bust, right, in the first, second, and third rounds. Um, like to not to oversimplify, but I mean that's basically it. And every year is a little bit different, right? Some years it's zero RB, maybe the best way to go, you know, or upside down draft. Other other years it may be you're better off to go heavy running back. Other years, you know, I mean every year literally is its own animal. And then each draft is its own animal. And what I just found, you know, um, I was like, just in a really, I was in a great groove. So I think the other component is like that year, um, every, everything I had learned over thousands and thousands of hours of pouring into this kind of stuff for the previous 15 years, basically, you know, it just, the assimilation of it all came together, like for the better of. Yeah you know, the overall outcome. Right. And I wasn't too focused on any certain part. And it was really interesting because I was kind of nervous about it. And so I thought I was just going to do two or three drafts. I was like, I'll just do two or three because I haven't put enough time or research into it, but I did three and it went really good. I only ended up doing 12 teams that year, Um, but it, it, it just, everything was clicking and I could tell. And I, and I felt, you know, it, it was just an interesting, you know, experience because I couldn't quite put my finger on why you know, it was working so well, um, but it was.
0: Well, let's. this is interesting from the standpoint, and I probably should have prefaced this, and I'll probably preface it before we, you know, when I, when I start this podcast, I'll add an intro to it and just say, this does have applications to fantasy football, applications to real football, and to scouting players, um, as well as um, teams that have to evaluate or make personnel decisions. Because let's start from like the... The high end, like GMs. You know, one of the things that we notice is that when has a GM in the NFL who's been fired ever got another opportunity? I think the, you know, maybe you'd say Bill Pullian is an example. But did he leave or did he quit and move to another position? I don't know. There, there aren't many. I'll put it to you that right. way.
1: There's, there there's been a few. You got, yeah. um, and I can't remember if Gettleman was fired or he just left Carolina to yeah. go to the Giants. But but you're right. There there's not there's not a ton of them. Um, what was the guy recently that was uh, Kansas City, then Cleveland, then now? No, no, I know who you're talking about. Dorsey. Dorsey. Yeah. 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 yeah so I mean, he's one. But yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. You, yeah. you don't see it a ton.
0: Yeah, and and I think that when you're looking at someone who's that immersed in the day-to-day operations of an NFL club that's a tough role to get thrust into as a new timer and then not to get an opportunity to learn from your mistakes it just seems like it's short-sighted by the NFL but they they fear the media saying oh they've got you know they're rehashing the they're recycling these guys you know, and they let guys who fail get shots over and over again. I think there's some fear to that even though they do it with coaches, but I think they should do it a little bit more with GMs because there might be an argument that Ryan Pace who got vilified for his Mitchell Trubisky pick and some other picks that he made that he might be making better decisions at with this draft that he had with the Bears and it's not just the selection of of Justin Fields you know at Trevon is a nice seems like a nice pick you can certainly look at some of their other picks Khalil Herbert later on in that draft you know th- this there there may be something said to him you know being able to rely on learn how to rely on the right people learn how not to overmanage certain situations um you know learn who to trust who not what not to trust You know, those things come from mistakes and, and going through a process enough because, you know, they present a process and the plan to an owner. And if that plan doesn't work and they don't get time to make an adjustment and fix it, it might take more time than just, well, what are you going to do? You had a, you had a six and 10 season. How are you going to change it? You know? Well, I mean, it's just, it's like that question you can be too close to everything and with the pressure that you have going on it might take longer than the timeline people want to give and i know that companies like to say well we're going to we're going to have a quarterly reflection meeting or something like that even though they don't call it that but it's like you know some meeting where you know they have a a, a seminar or some sort of meeting for people to you know i've always equated it to self-help type of stuff that yeah. you, that you see biz, you know teams do i had a boss who loved this stuff and and you can get value out of it to a degree, but when it's forced like that, that lack of organic time and space for things just to show up when they show up, it matters. And I think that's an underrated part of all this, Dwayne. You know, that, that as you mentioned is that you needed that time for things to sink in, and you didn't know how much time that needed to be.
1: Yeah. And, and like it's affected <clears throat> a lot of things about how I approach my, you know, job and career now. Right. And the way that I and the way that I work, you know, obviously I try to set the time aside to make sure I can reflect. But even just what I learned from being away, um, just really, you know, there's several things that I'm just, you know, very different about, like in my approach <laughs> uh, to the way that I uh, do my job. Um, so I, I, think, and basically what I looked at, I, you know, gave me enough time to look back and think about what worked, what really didn't, why, um, and then, you know, just to really put together, I, you know, really where I got to is like, where am I really strong and how do I play to my strengths? Still challenge myself to grow, but you know, if my, if my job could work exactly a certain way, um, you know, if it was up to me, like, how would I make that work? And i I don't think you can answer those questions, right, without taking the time, you know, to reflect. And, and and it was from several different angles. One was how do I become more effective? But two, like, how do I enjoy my work more? Right. How do I do things that are gonna, you know, align, you know, things that naturally, you know, give me joy, right? That line up with my work, because then when that happens, right, I'm gonna do an even better job and then my company gets more out of me, right? And then I'm also, that's also infectious, right? It helps teammates, it helps others. It doesn't always, you know, it, it's not perfect, right? There's still, I still have times where, you know, those things don't always work the way you want to, but I at least have a plan, but right? it's not and like I have an idea.
0: Yeah, but it's not like, yeah, I mean, you may write down things that you'd like to get better at and maybe ideas of how you want to do it. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people do that. But it's not like you're going to get that answer when you write it down immediately, you right. know, it, and it might not come to you while you're sitting there having this self session or whatever. Or even if you're sitting out on a porch or, you know, taking a hike or, you know, it might be while you're watching a ball game with your kids or you're mowing the lawn or, you know, eating dinner with your wife or 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 you wake up in the middle of the night and something comes to you, you know, that. Was at the weirdest time, you know, and I think that that's, that's part of it here is, I mean, like I, you know, I really, one of the things that really resonated with me is you talked about, you know, you put in the work and it's not that you can abandon the work and no longer need it anymore. It's that the the amount of work that you put in had lasting preparatory effects for you. So that if you couldn't be around it or you couldn't do it during that time, that you still had learned enough to be able to perform well. And maybe, yes, maybe it can, for a period of time actually be better for you when you aren't stuck to that. And I can give two examples of that is from a scouting perspective. Um, well, one from a scouting and one from a fancy perspective. The fancy perspective is, I mean, the best year I ever had in fantasy was like you. I remember I was in. A, it was a local league where I won pretty much every conceivable amount of money that our league could do, and it was in a league with competitive people who were football writers early on. You know, when the internet was just getting started, they were with some of the main football sites doing stuff. So they were really tuned in, and they they were good fantasy players. And I came into that draft, I had prepared, but I had forgotten my my preparation materials because I, I ended up hanging out somewhere else like with my girlfriend that night and didn't bring my stuff with me and then realized that when it was time for me to leave her house, that she was too far away for me to go back home and then go to where my draft was. I was going to have to go to my draft and I might even be late for the draft if I didn't like hurry. Um, so I got there and was not prepared at all. And probably the draft of the best team I ever had, like in the past 25, 30 years, I've been doing this. It's still probably the best team I ever had. And it was, and it was by, again, it was because I wasn't so focused on the minutia. Like you said, it was, it was literally just kind of rolling with I think you, you're more apt to roll with your surroundings and what's going on and being able to see around you when you're not so tied up in one little point of strategy. Um, I think the same thing would be said from a scouting perspective, when I finally stopped writing down everything that I saw and taking notes on everything for the RSP. And it was quite valuable for me in the beginning to learn the game. But then it had a point of diminishing returns for me, where it wasn't allowing me. I was so caught up in how many, how much I was seeing, and whether I was going to get this player done for this amount of thing, that I wasn't. It took away bandwidth to look at the player overall and think about broader things about that player, as opposed to the minutia about what they do. And I think that that's where that micro-macro kind of big picture minutia type of balance you having that come into play there there's maybe something worthwhile to stepping away from your process at least for a period of time or at least temporarily to a lot and part of it is to just play you know and and to just play is more of a metaphor for performing to spend more time performing um because if you're spending a lot of time preparing, but not enough time performing, there's also a craft to performing. Drafting is a performance, you know, um, executing on an operational level is a performance. Um, you know, research is not performance. Scott, you know, so there's a re, there's a certain level of performance with research, I'm sure, in terms of how you execute it. But at the end of the day, if you're making decisions based off of that, there's something to be said about getting experience playing. And, and wherever you're at, like we're both people who play music, you know. And I think we can both say that if you spend all your time practicing but don't practice performing, then, it, then you're missing something. And you're not and also you're giving you're not giving yourself a chance to be in the environment that you're gonna be in to allow all those things you've been practicing to kind of gel and know and tell your body and your mind to go, oh, this is when you're supposed to do this, use this stuff. And if you don't if you're not on that stage enough, your your conscious subconsciousness, I don't think, gets um acclimated to the idea of oh this is when it's supposed to come out this is you know uh, now i'm comfortable enough for it to kind of integrate and do the work and i think that's why there's something to be said about you have to devote time to play and devote time and part of play is maybe performance being on stage as well as time away and relaxing or getting away from the grind
1: right yeah i mean and i would say like looking at, you know, fantasy again, as an example, um, if I had to put a percentage of what makes me good at fantasy, like the research I do, which is, you know, I enjoy the research. I like doing it. And I do find a lot of things in the research that I think do help me. And a lot of times it's actually just players to avoid. <laughs> That's what shows up in my research. Um, um, or, you know, just, it helps me group certain players together. And then I see their ADP is disparate. And I'm like, well, like I already see it this year and I haven't even done projections. I'm like, okay, Robert Woods is like three or four rounds ahead of Juju Smith Schuster. I mean, they both play on teams that have three receivers that are going to get a lot of targets. I like Matt Stafford more than I like Ben Roethlisberger, but do I like him three or four rounds more, you know, that kind of thing. So that's an example right there right where some of the stuff that you learn over time even though i haven't projected the steelers or the rams yet like it it's like it's kind of common sense really right it just all starts to come together but i mean the other thing you know kind of back to what i would say you know where that bigger percentage comes from it actually comes from drafting against really good other players right yeah and learning how to read a board learning how to read um you know, the not necessarily tendencies, you may only draft with somebody one time. This you know, there are certain players I'll draft with multiple times, you know, in the offseason. But you know, a big part of it is just having that feel, you know, for a board and being able to anticipate. Like it's 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 truly that instincts kick in, right? But yeah. instincts are built off of thousands of hours of doing this yeah. and thousands of hours of research that sit behind. But what's funny is Like that year, even though I hadn't done that research, like when I started drafting it, it like all just came to me Um, and I had clarity. Um, And it's so it's 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 an interesting kind of phenomenon. But like you talk about it, you know, it applies like to coaches. It applies to a lot of things. Think about it. I mean, it applies to players. I mean, we talk about it with rookies all the time. Right. They get to the league. They're trying to learn all these different things. They got this new terminology. Um, A lot of it can be really complex. Um, They may be changing, you know, like a running back may be switching, you know, the kind of, you know, scheme he's playing in. Um, You know, there's so many of those things. and, And so their mind is jumbled with trying to just remember all those details. And they're studying it. They're studying it. They're studying it. They're studying it. And what you'll hear them say is there's that moment where all of a sudden the game slows down. And the reason why is because all those things no longer become things they have to be thinking about all the time in the moment. They become secondhand right? And so it's kind of like, it's that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours, you know, is what it takes to be an expert really at something. So these guys have been, these guys have 10,000 hours of football practice and playing football their whole lives, you know, and now they've just kind of got this new twist on it. And so it's kind of, it's like interfering, right? With their ability just to play because they've got to learn these new things that their coaches need them to learn. Right. But once they get past it, You know, now some don't, but once they get past it, right. That's when they can truly start to, you know, perform, which is why veterans, you know, I mean, the veterans have just seen more, right. I mean, Tom Brady was good as a rookie, but he's way better. Right. And you're 20, as far as the way he can process and everything he sees, you know um, and it isn't just from studying film. A lot of it is he's got recall of just, it's natural to him now. He's like, I saw this five years ago, you know, and like, he doesn't even know he's thinking it like, but it's happening.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that I got a little bit of a reminder of just, you know, as I'm taking music lessons again and have a teacher who's like, okay, I'm going to show you all, you know, he gave me a month long of assignments and said, you know, record yourself and put this on tape and send it to me when you, once you're ready. But you know, a lot of my students ask me, you know, cause he's been teaching with a lot of different people now and he's been doing it online. And he's like, a lot of people ask me, well, How is this really going to impact my playing? When am I, you know, how am I? And he's like, the answer is, the answer is, is you're not going to know exactly for sure when that happens. You just got to keep working at these types of things and it will happen. It organically takes place. And it's, it's a lot like learning a language and football is a language. So you're, you're, you know, when you start learning a new, new kinks with that language, you know, it's like learning new slang. You're not going to, Pick up that slang and use it correctly right away. A good example is, you know, a parent. Listen, you know, a parent with a teenager. When a teenager starts using that slang around them and and the whole jokes that we've always seen in movies or TV shows of the parent using the slang wrong. You, You know, I mean, we used to laugh at it when we were kids and I'm sure our kids laugh at it with us or they laugh at us when we try to use it and now it's out of date. Um, you you know, and, and it's those types of things that it's that same process that kind of happens is even when you're a kid, you don't just pick it up right away. You don't think about when you picked it up. You just keep hearing everyone say it and then you learn the situations and then you start to use it. Um, and you know, I think it's kind of like that in a way that you, you have, but there's also this point of where you can short circuit when you're too engaged with something where you don't have enough preparation time and it overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, again, the best leaders are good at taking someone and saying, I'm removing you from this situation because you're short circuiting and it's not because you're bad. It's just because you're not ready yet. Like this has overwhelmed you. And you can't you can't power out of it. Like, so we're gonna sit you down and just regain your perspective. You need perspective. You need that organic time to look around and go, Wow, I was really like in the weeds here and couldn't find my way out. And then you watch somebody else, and you might even be better than that person. They're just more experienced than you. You might just be more talented than them. Um, you know, I think we could argue that Drew Brees was more talented than Doug Flutie as good as Doug Flutie often was, and maybe you could argue as as an underrated player, but he sat and, you know, he got pulled and watched Doug Flutie do things and, and was probably like, oh, okay. Wow, that's simpler. That's simple. Like, I should have been able to do that. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do this? It's the whole thing with, and it is that, and part of those hours is literally doing that performance. I mean, I think about like, you know, they, you know, I remember watching a 2020 episode on gun on gun training. Um, and my father-in-law was a, was a trained police officers in Baltimore um, for using guns. I now mean, he was a police officer. So and we talked about this once and he validated this. It's was the idea that they've 2020 took a bunch of like college student age students who've all had various um, experiences with using guns. Some of them were like went to the gun range weekly. And had lessons for months or years. Some had shot a gun in the past. Some never have. You know that whole range of gambit. And they were giving them gun training with a police officer, a gun expert in the police force. And what they the kids didn't know is that they were during the class there was going to be someone coming in with a paint gun. They were all having. They all had paint guns. They were using paint guns. And at some point during the class. There, they, they did warn that there was going to be an exercise that was unannounced um, that would be, you know, something of that nature. So they had some warning that something might happen. But then, like, they had someone burst into the classroom and start shooting up the classroom and to see how they would react. And, you know, some of the most experienced people, like, shot themselves trying to get the gun out of their belt. They shot. They had friendly fire and shot an innocent person. Um, no one hit no one actually got their got a shot off against the assailant um you know and most of them either got shot shot somebody else or shot themselves. Um, and it was the you know cops were like listen you know you we train every day and even the, and if you stop training your your skills erode and you have to get them back up again but I would have to think part of this is, especially in an adrenaline-focused sport like football that's a collision, physical collision, violent sport, there's a level of emotion and adrenaline that comes that you have to get used to that in order to function well and adjust mentally to things that you don't expect. And I and I think that that's where we we don't think about that as much or even a, and you could even extend that to a, something as insignificant as drafting you know in fantasy football or even in real football there's got a there's an adrenaline element to that there's a there's a there's a time clock you've invested money there's pressure you've put a lot of preparation into it so there's a point where you do people, I know people, I felt adrenaline drafting in leagues where mm-hmm. I'm like, why am I so excited about this? I need to calm down. <laughs> like, it's not that big of a deal, you know, but like, I found myself like, like just the clock ticking, like an attorney and I'm going, I'm like, why am I making so much out of this? And then your thinking gets clouded, you know, at certain points and you kind of go, all right, I, I can't do that. And I think that while it seems like a stretch to relate that to 300 pound people, like, ripping your head off um the <laughs> there is a dra- you know the fact that adrenaline exists in both and that you have to learn how to manage that and that comes with experience and it has to grow organically too with exposure
1: yeah i mean i've had a similar experience like even with poker um you know and i've studied a lot of stuff about poker played a lot of hands practice it you know i think about the theory of it all that kind of stuff um and I've noticed even with poker multiple times, like whenever I'm picking up something new or trying to learn a new skill at poker that I'm trying to add into like kind of all the other things that I already know about it and I'll try to go play and I won't play well because I'll be so focused on implementing this new thing um, or rethinking, thinking too much about this one thing and forgetting all the other things I know. And then, you know, what I've noticed is sometimes, you know, I may not play like right now I haven't played in, six or seven months but the last time that i did that and i just stepped away and i had been learning i had played you know and tried to implement some things to your point going and playing but i just i wasn't doing well because i was thinking too much about one thing and then a few months later after not thinking about it not doing anything with it you know i went and played and everything just came together you know and i felt i felt comfortable i felt calm Um, you know, I was making really good reads, you know, I was, I was still using the math. I was doing all the things right. That I wanted to do, but I wasn't have to think about doing them and I was doing them at the right time. Um, whereas if you're trying to implement something new, it's literally, you're thinking through the steps as you're trying to do it, you know, um, and you're thinking more about, you know, the process and which is okay. Process can still lead, you know, to results, but I was just missing, um, I was missing out on all the other small little reads and tells and different things, you know, from different players. Like I, I was missing all that. So, but, but when it all comes together and you've had that time to step away from it, um, that's when I often play my best. And I'm also playing, honestly, it's like, um, less pressure, right? Yeah. Because I'm just showing up and playing right. And my expectations aren't that I'm going to go execute this one strategy or, or see if I've learned this one thing, I'm literally like, I'm going to go play and I'm going to try to win winning means putting everything together. Right. And, and letting it happen, you know, in a natural way. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen it in multiple, you know, spaces, you know, of my life, but what's interesting, you know, I I don't see a lot of people that do it. No, Um,
0: because what you hear and it makes it sound stupid is you'll hear people say, I hear people say this, but nobody follows it. Is like, learn as much as you can and work as hard as you can to the finest detail of everything you can possibly do. And then when it's time to use it, forget everything, you know, you know, and it sounds kind of silly when you hear that, but we're like, you said, there are a lot of people who, who don't follow this because they get so crunched for time. There's so many time demands. There's so many like expectations for you to, to like, it's like the whole idea that everyone's family needs to be like the hallmark commercials on Thanksgiving, (laughs) Thanksgiving day, you know, and I think any therapist would tell you that most families are not like the hallmark commercial on Thanksgiving day. Um, even though they hear more than anything else from people who are feeling that they're in dysfunctional situations, that they lament the fact that their family isn't like the hallmark commercial. And I think that when we look at like, you know, whether it's movies, television shows, self-help books, um, business publications, whatever it is, commercials, whatever it is, we create this false expectation that, you know, that we're going to get this knowledge and apply it right away. Like it's going to give us immediate dividends as opposed to like, No, you're going to get this information and you're going to work at it and work at it and work at it. And it's not going to click to you until a point that you can't even predict.
1: Right. When I take time, like to reflect, I'll like there's certain areas I know for sure, you know, that I perform better at, Um, you know, so even just like on the weekly, monthly kind of basis, like if I'm really taking the time to reflect, um, I'm much more able to understand the big picture, choosing certain, you know, which battles, right. Do you want to, do you want to face, you know, or which up or prioritize, right. What opportunities are worth the most. I'm much more likely to be willing to pivot off of an idea sooner if I need to um, or double down and say, no, I know, I really need to persevere through this. Like I know I'm, I know, you know, me and the team are doing the right thing. Um, But if I didn't take the time to reflect, then I'm just, acting every day you know I may double down I may pivot I may do I may I may still make any one of those decisions it's just not as it's not as sound and I feel more stressed by it versus feeling more like I have clarity and more certain and relaxed about it and knowing when you're reflecting part of it is is that you know everything's not going to work perfect and that's part of what you're you know that's part of what you're synthesizing when you take the time to do that and when you put yourself in that situation you also know that you know, mistakes are going to be made and it's not the end of the world. You're going to, you could, you know, just don't make the fatal ones, right? You know, make the ones that you can learn from um, and then, you know, make the change, you know, if you need to. Um, whereas when your head's down all the time, every day, it seems like every decision is like this monumental decision. And really, honestly, 95% of the decisions in, that you make in a day don't even matter. There's like 5% of them that are really important. And so we spend too much time putting energy into decisions that really don't matter right using and your you get, blinker is one of them i'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> but you get to one you, you get to uh then then you get to a critical you know decision right that you need to make and you don't have you don't have the points left i think of it like points you know you got like 100 points you know you can give away each day well if you give away 70 points right to decisions that you shouldn't really be worried about like um, what are you going to wear? What are you going to eat? You know, small business decisions. Um, you know, and it's funny. I see some leaders sweat all these details and I'm thinking, how do they ever like become strategic if they're pouring all Now, some of them may just be, have more bandwidth than me, like capacity wise. Right. Maybe right. they just, maybe they have 150 they've got a higher points capacity. and they got to 50 of them. And I, yeah, yeah and just... they got to, They got to get rid of 50 because <laughs> they got too much energy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's the other component like that. You know spending that time away and reflecting and looking back at it you know um when you're just in the day-to-day trenches you you waste too much energy on the wrong things you just do um and that's something to reflect on daily i think you know just okay where am i at the end of this day because you need time you need to have you need to have um capacity remaining right for your family for your friends for all the other things that still need to occur work isn't everything Um, so, and what's, what's interesting, there's this natural balance. Like when I find myself doing it that way and I do save those points and I do those things, right. What's funny is I'm more energized the next day. And all of a sudden I have these new ideas about the problem I was facing. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it that night. You know, I'm reflecting on it the next morning. Um, when I'm, you know, really at my, at my peak, right. Because nothing has really occurred yet in the day. I, you know, got to recharge. I got to hopefully put, you know, take some of those points that I save and, you know, put them into other people, and then that recharges you. So yes. it's like the cycle.
0: Yeah, your subconscious needs time to work, and sometimes that means that you need to. Your conscious mind needs to be clear enough so that you, it can get out of the way and let your subconscious do its thing, and and I think that there's something to be said about all of that because when you know, having when you operate with clarity, perspective and intuition, that's your subconscious really having been able to work things out. And, and I think that it does come down to that you prep and you prep and you prep. But then at some point, you've got to give yourself some preparation with the performance as well, in addition to the research. So you've got to prep both. So like if you're... And I think where this comes down to from a scouting perspective for fantasy or football or anything really is like, you know, yes, would I like you to buy projections from me? Would I like you to, you know, buy my rankings and, you know, buy the RSP or buy what Dwayne does or get stuff at football guys or wherever? Sure. But at the end of the day... I think if you, while it's preferable that you find people who are consciously trying to always grow and tweak their work and do that, you're going to benefit even on a basic level if you just stick with one thing and learn all you can from it and do it over a process of years mm-hmm. to where you're at least going to gain something valuable out of it. You Maybe you'll gain more with some products more than others but i think that if you stick with something with enough time and you give daily devotion to it to really work at it i think that what Dwayne described in terms of what he was able to get out of his process is the same thing you'll get out of yours you know whether that's whether that's fantasy football or football analysis or it's your own job you know and, and I think that having that room, giving yourself that room to, to, to reflect matters. I mean, I remember, I remember having a dream once that was like really just odd and I'm not going to get into it cause it's just, it'll be boring <laughs> for people, but it was, it was a bizarre, odd dream in terms of like. The people that were involved with it, like it was like a murder mystery dream. I'll just put it that way. And the character, one of the characters, was like a very popular um, figure at the time when I was, um, but it was very incongru- incongruous with what his role was um, in in my dream, and it just confused the tar out of me. And I remember asking a friend about it. I, said, I just had the strangest dream, and I can't figure out what it means. And the friend said to me ask yourself before you go to sleep to tell ask yourself to have a dream that will tell you what that dreams those recurring dreams you've been having meant you know like what it actually means that you're confused you don't know what it means can you explain it and that night i did that feeling silly and then like that that night i dreamt and it was plain as day It and it was like so plain as day it was like complete, and it was a completely different dream. It turned out to be a dream. The the people that were all incongruous and odd, and I never think about them in general, and I don't even remember, like, some people were folks I never even listened to their music, and they were, like, in the dream, like, as main characters. And it was just, like, bizarre. And then the the next dream was, like, real people I knew, and it was about them and the, and the situation that I had with them. And it was my subcon giving my subconscious time to go, Hey man, can you sort this out? Cause what you gave me was too convoluted for me to understand, like help me, you know? And I think there's something to be said about just allowing that organically to, you need that organic time for things to sink in in order for it to be effective. And we're too much, like you said, too much of an instant, like, Everything's got to happen instantly. Everything's microwavable, You, you know. Everything's like the speed of the internet, because knowledge comes, because the sheer knowledge appears within seconds with the fast bit rate that we get when we, when we can like go onto the internet to look up something. Doesn't mean we actually know how to use the information. There's always the idea of technological lag. There's always a lag between you know, knowing some, knowing about something and actually knowing it and having the wisdom to use it. And I think that that's what that comes down to is how do we give ourselves the time to do it? And why don't we give ourselves
1: the time to do it? Right. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um Like, you know, from a fantasy perspective, like one thing I think of, because um, I haven't done You know my projections yet on most of the teams um and i you know i've got a lot going on you know career-wise too so you know i'm just balancing all these different things um so like an example like i haven't done the falcons but just sitting here thinking about the falcons without having going and doing like i'll spend three or four hours on a team projecting them yeah but my guess would be and maybe i'll do this this week and test it and we'll check back in Um, you know, maybe I'll project the Falcons, but my, my guess is like, I could project them right now. Um, and it would be probably 90% (laughs) accurate, right? I know they have a new coach that wants to run the ball more. Um, that's what he did heavily in Tennessee. I think there's going to be less targets to go around. They still have a really crappy defense, so it probably won't be as slow of a pace in Tennessee. He's no longer under a defensive coordinator. So, you know, I don't it's probably won't be an 850 play team. It'll be more like a 950 play team, but they're not going to throw the ball 70% of the time like Matt Ryan has in the past. So if you're spreading the ball out to Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and now you've got Kyle Pitts um, and then you've got Hayden Hurst too. um, You know, my guess is it's going to be a similar spread it out, right. Kind of target share thing that you saw last year in Atlanta, but what saved the Atlanta receivers last year and made them really productive is, you know, The Falcons ran a ton of plays and they passed nearly every time. Um, And so that's going to be gone. So now Calvin Ridley is going to have to have more efficiency to pay off. He's a third round pick Julio Jones, obviously has to stay healthy. That's his number one thing, but he's going to have to be, um, you know, more efficient, but he's also around, you know, cheaper, like he's going in the fourth round. Um, And he really fits this kind of offense, right? This play action, you know, get it, you know, 10, 12 yards down the field, right over the middle. That's actually really more kind of Julio than Calvin Ridley. Right. Right. Ridley's Ridley's not, not that he can't do those things, but that's like right. in Julio's wheelhouse when he's healthy, like, you know, he could do all the stuff AJ Brown could do. And so like, this is me just kind of sitting here thinking about this, you know, off the cuff. And then you got a guy like Kyle Pitts. Well, he's a rookie, tight end, like he's just too high ADP of, of, of five. And you already have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on the team, on a team that's going to throw the ball less. So what this tells me immediately is I should be drafting Matt Ryan because he's got a lot of good weapons. Right. Um, You know, and I can get him really late. So the ADP is right. The ADP is probably decent on Julio, but, but Calvin Ridley's iffy, like again, so it's like just sitting here thinking through and that comes from having done this, you know, for so long, but my gut tells me that's pretty much going to be right. Like when I go do it (laughs) and I spend three or four hours on it, Um, you know, and I I find nuggets, you know, here and there for sure. And when you do the deep research, there are those kind of things that you, you do really find that differentiate you. Um, But at the end of the day, like a lot of it just comes from having done this for 15, you know, years doing projections and then drafting and playing Um, and there's something to be said, right. For how smart the fantasy community has gotten. I mean, ADP back when I first started drafting, there were just huge holes all over the place, right. Of how bad ADP was versus my board. Like, It's it's just, it's not like that, you know, today, like there there's, there's small discrepancies, right. And, and occasionally I'll find a few big ones where I really like a player, um, you know, that I, that I just really believe is going, you know, way too late or that kind of thing. Um, but it's for the most part, like there's a lot of smart people and there's something, you know, ADP in itself is just a really useful tool. Whereas it, it before it was just to help, you know, where to take your guys. Now it's probably much more accurate just as far as how things really are going to shake out. Yeah, it's fascinating. So,
0: so then how do you get that edge?
1: Well, I think, you know, a big part of it for me, right, is I've drafted so much, you know, and just when I get in a draft room and I think through the strategy of how I want to draft based on where these players are going and what the pockets look like. I think, you know, I don't think I know that's where I get my huge edge, um, just thinking multiple steps ahead throughout the draft. Um and having thought through ahead of time, if the draft goes this way, how do I feel about that? Just so I don't get that surprise to your point, And then all of a sudden I have adrenaline, right? Where I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? You know, a lot of times I've already, but I don't have to think through them as much, you know, nowadays, just because I've kind of drafted so many different scenarios. Um, I just really try to come in, you know, and loose, be loose and, you know, let the other people um, kind of show me what way they're going to go. And then, you know, I base my strategy You know, off of that. Um, But I'm not one that feels like I just got to be running back heavy or just have to be receiver heavy, you know. And and every year is different. Yeah. Uh, Like I said before, certain years it really works to be one way or the other. Um, And typically, the way it worked last year is not what's going to work this year. <laughs> That's where I think, you know, a lot of time gets spent, you know, Oh, here's what the winning rosters looked like last year. And I think it's good analysis, but really what you need to do is go back and look, here's what the winning rosters constructions look like over the last five to 10 years. That means here are all the different ways this could go looking at ADP and where players typically go, where do you think, you know, where are the spots where you may want to reach on a running back, for example, because even though, the value may not be exactly what you want for where you're going to have to take that back, you know, as a pick. Um you can pass the receiver there and still get the same value at receiver, but if you don't get the back, you know that you want even though he may not score as many points as that receiver, there's a big cliff. Like so those are the kind of things like you have to you know, you really have to think through and a lot of that goes back to tiers and different things like that. Um So I mean, again, things that you, you've just been doing, you know, over time. So even, even, you know, I though my projections this year, I may not get to spend quite as much time on them. Um, you know, my rankings and everything will still be tiered. I'll still be doing all those sorts of things. Um, and, and I do still believe there's an edge, right. To be had from the deep, deep research. I think it's there oh, without a doubt, but, but I, but I think the other area this year, where if I step back from that sum, you, you know, the other area where I'm going to get, you know, an advantage, right. Is a- allowing, more naturally for me to be able to focus, you know, on everything and see the big picture, um, you know, versus, you know, potentially getting locked in on certain things.
0: And I think that there's value to be set. You know, I think the takeaways of this conversation are whether you're talking about NFL GMs where you can joke about, like, think about that movie draft day and you think about like the young guy who looks like Josh Norris and the Jacksonville Jaguars GM yeah. and Kevin Costner. And, you know, one's, one's been there enough before that they're calm in that moment and the other one's freaking out in that moment and you see how that plays out and i think there was reality to that situation you know there's reality human behavior in that sense and so getting you can't do everything full bore every moment every year so there might be something to be said about you know what this year I'm not doing projections like this. This year I'm going to focus more on this area and get a lot of practice drafting. I'm going to get a lot more practice trying to look at things on this level so that when you do have time to go back to the research, you've had practice in other areas and it aids you, you know, in synthesizing the whole where you can concentrate on specific areas of your of your business, of your work, you know, of of your process and i think that there there's something probably instructive about that in just the same way that with players it's like you can't you know you've got you've got to get enough playing time to get an opportunity to grow but you also but you also need that time in the shed to work you know and and <laughs> right. and so it's like you but you can't you know there there's a point where each of those things can have diminishing returns so you've got to find that you got to find that balance. And part of that balance too, there has to be rest. There has to be rest and allowance to let it grow and knowing that you expecting, well, I've practiced this for 12 hours this week. I've researched this for 12 hours this week. This better, you know, my hope is that when I get into my draft this summer, that I'll be prepared and ready to go. Well, it might not work out this year. But if you keep doing it, it will eventually Click for you. It might. It depends on how many drafts you do. If you only have one draft, and <laughs> you, you be then you know, and you're doing all this preparation, and it doesn't click for you this year, well, you haven't drafted enough. Maybe you need to do more drafts. Maybe do more mock drafts so that you get acclimated to doing those types of things. And you know, each of these things that you're doing is a skill. Drafting's a skill. Waiver wire picks up picks up a skill. You know, your draft preps a skill. Team management's a skill. Watching football is a skill, you know, and I, and I think that that's where,
1: that's where I think. Yeah. One thing I'll say to folks that, you know, folks don't, one of the kind of zoom out concepts like, and I've talked about this before on the fantasy football hustle with Brian, you know, use the news cycles to your advantage. Actually, I think I wrote an article for you like a few years ago about using the news cycles to your advantage. Right. Um, because players, ADPs will fluctuate right throughout this summer. Um, and so whenever there's news depressing their value, that's when you take the opportunity to to draft those players, right? Um, whenever you've got players that, you know, um have a lot of good news or hype, you know, coming out around them, then that's the time to just kind of take your foot off the gas. You won't be drafting that player as much. But it's interesting, like if you go back and look, you know how these players will move around. Right. You know, so for example, if I'm drafting right now, I am drafting Trey sermon in the eighth round every time I can, because I know what happens in preseason. He makes one, you know, big run back one cutback zone read, you know, on the backside for 60 yards against third stringers. It doesn't matter. It's all over ESPN. And then he's going to be a fifth round pick because that's what rookie backs that have question marks around them, that's where they go. Well, that's where they should be drafted. Um, you know, um, but a lot of people, you know, people will draft those players like in the first and second rounds. You know, I prefer to take them when they're in the fourth and fifth. Well, right now you can get Sermon, you know, in the eighth round. He's going in the same round as Tony Pollard. So it's like, I look at that and I'm like, Tony Pollard has no chance of taking Zeke's job. Trey Sermon has a chance of taking Raheem Mostert's job. And he's in a, a better Offense, right? You know, for for backs, you know, so just high level, you know, thinking through those sort of things without even having to get in, into projecting Trey Sermon like that. I, if I drafted tonight, I would draft him in the eighth round, and I would be, you know, um, well, hopefully, I would get the chance. I may take him, you know, at the end of the seventh if I felt like I needed to, because I just know that that's going to start to creep up, you know, yeah. over yeah. the summer. Um, and so, you, I mean, and we've seen these things, you know, historically. So. I remember
0: I remember getting into a betting war with Gene Brammel over Ray Rice when I first started at Football Guys, and it was the <laughs> second year. And we, I ended up taking him in the second round in some leagues, which was like way overkill for most people. But, you, but when I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, the Ravens have one of the best run-blocking lines in the league. They're a run-oriented team. And yeah. at this point, if I'm going to get a first-round return out of him – it's still value though I'm getting very close to that margin that most people would say that's too rich for my blood and i and I think for most people you wouldn't do that with a trey sermon right now though they do have a very strong run offense and if you
1: you know beauty we, is right now you get him basically. you get him in the eighth round it's free um, exactly but but Naja Harris is going too late he shouldn't be in early third like he's probably going to be in every down back I mean it's yeah pretty much probably going to be a lock. Um, you know, it's not like they have a lot of talent sitting behind him. He's definitely going to creep up the board. He could be an early second-round pick by the time we get through the summer, right? And right now, you can get him at the beginning of the third and get him at the end of the second. Um, I think you could have a similar situation with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? You yeah. know, as as you start to hear more positive vibes, maybe Daryl Williams is going to get less work. You can get him right now in the third round. Um, you know, you've got A.J. Brown should not be a late second round pick, AJ Brown should be going in the first half of the second round. So, like, th- those are the kind of things I look at. Like, and without even having done projections, I know these things. Yeah. Like, I-, I know these players are, you know, undervalued. I'm not probably going to draft Jonathan Taylor a lot, right? At pick five, because I know he's still going to have to deal with having other backs on the team. Um, Naheem Hines mm-hmm. is going to have a role. Um, and they re signed Marlon Mack, you know, before Marlon Mack went down, like, you know. So it's just one of these things where it's like, I like Jonathan Taylor. Um, you just don't like the situation for that round. I just don't like the situation for the price, right? Yep. Now, Joe Mixon, everybody wanted to draft him at the end of the first round last year. And we told him on our pod not to, um, just because he was going to have to share the passing down with Geo. And everybody just assumed, oh, now he'll get it. He's just going to get it because he got his contract, right? People will give any reason they can. But at the end of the day, there's just too much of a question. If there's a question, I don't want to use the end of my first round pick on a question, right? right. I, I like to feel better. And I did the same thing with Josh Jacobs. I told folks, look, love the talent, but you got, they're going to use another back, you know, in yeah. the passing game. So you're basically betting that yeah. that's going to change. And you, and betting on coaching behavior is really hard. Um, you know, so especially whenever there's other, you could take a guy like DeAndre Hopkins at the same spot would literally know what downside do you have? And you probably have the same upside. People are drafting Antonio Gibson with the first pick of the second round. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing that. I can take I could take Stefan Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, guys at all that if you sit there and think about it right for a minute, we'll just hope Antonio Gibson scores as many points as those players, yeah. right? Um, you know, he'd have to almost hit all of his ups. He's going to have to hit, you know, all of his upside to make him worth picking. Yeah, he'll need an and so James like season for that to happen. Yeah, he would need to be like all of a sudden CMC. From yeah. 2018, which yeah. he is in that offense, right? And that's in his range of outcomes, but what would you say the chances of him being CMC from 2018? I'd say it's like one or two percent. Yeah. I'm not gonna spend my first second round pick on that when I can pretty much have a 95% bet on a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, a guy like Devontae Adams, assuming Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Green Bay Packers, right? Um, you know, so it's 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 just one of those things where the opportunity cost isn't right, and again, see, we're not talking about projections or any, you know, anything. It's like these things are just kind of there in my head, you know. But they came through them and looking at.
0: But they came from doing the projection work yes, for all those years. For all those years, it's like learning how to write. It's like learning how to write all those years in elementary school, and 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 high school, and you may not work, you may not spend daily work on on your grammar and punctuation and all those different things. But now that all that's out of the way so that you can just express yourself clearly and see ideas clearly and now put them into writing and formulate, you know, cohesive sentences that, you know, (laughs) so, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. And I think that that applies to everything we've talked about, whether it's fantasy or real football and scouts, you know, the teams that are most tied in with their scouting departments, I think are the ones that because they're tied in with their process, there's not an overthinking going on. They can get out of their own way and just watch and things coach adjust. Just trusts the <laughs> yes. And the trust the scouts. Yes. And now things unfold and there's not this whole like crazy argument ensuing or Jerry Jones panicking or whoever it is, you know, over a situation that another team like a Chris Ballard might be like, well, we already talked about this like five times and and we've been through it three times already in the past three years. So... This is old hat. We know
1: what to do. Yeah. When Jay was on uh, the fantasy football hustle, you know, he brought up Kyle Shanahan, a quote that had come out like the week, you know, before the draft. And he was like, I could talk myself into liking any of these quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, I mean, but he's got the scouts that have been doing the work all year long. And if the organization is working correctly, the coaches have told the scouts the kind of traits they want, right, for the offense and the things that they're looking for. And if if they've got a really good program, they should know don't overweight those things because coaches can be gone in two years and yeah. superstar players won't be. So if you're trying to draft superstars, you know, and you're trying to land really good players in the first and second round, right. Maybe you become more heavily weighted towards scheme fits, right. Rounds three and on, like, hopefully those are all the kind of things they're thinking through. I don't know if they are, Um, but that, that would allow, right. All that, all the work that the scouts have, have done to a, be trusted by the coaches, right. Two, they've got a philosophy that aligns like the GM through the coach, through the scouts, right. Um, And it makes your decision making a lot easier. Yeah. Um, There, there, you know, if, if everything's working the way it should be, and everybody's been putting in the time, then you get to draft day. Hopefully it's that moment that we're talking about where you've done it all and you step back and it's like, you have the clarity you need, you know, and you can be calm and collected and you're seeing all the pieces moving around. Even, you know, you've got that intuition um, and, and you're reading, you know, the draft board I mean, hopefully those are the sorts of things going on. I I don't know how many teams do it that way. Well, even Um, if you, let's
0: say, let's say the 49ers did what that sounded like, which was that, you know, Kyle Shanahan watched some, uh, watched some um, Trey Lance and sent tape over to John Lynch was like, dude, you've got to see this, you know, and John Lynch was up all night watching him, you know, and like freaked out now maybe what the hope is, is that the 49 Nineers scouts, maybe that's set up so that the scouts can say, here's who we like, here are the players we're fine with. Like, these are the ones that you guys need to take a look at, and then you can kind of have final say, you know, or... And if they do that, if that's a process, I'm fine with that, if that's how they're going to go about doing it. And they they consistently do it that way. So if if we're hearing these stories about Kyle Shanahan sending tape late night to... To lynch and forcing lynch to stay up till two or three in the morning to, to watch someone and come to the office the next day, you, you know, fine, you know, but it, it, as long as it's, you know, not unusual, you know, an, an unusual thing, um, on that level. But anyway, you know, listen, I mean, this was a lot of fun. I think this was a, you know, it was a different conversation than what we normally talk about, but I think it's a worthwhile one. And, and I know that my audience, there'll be people in my audience who, who aren't just like, tell me the right answer will appreciate the uh will appreciate the conversation about process. And most of you are that way, though I you know, I, I do have understandably audience members who are like, I really enjoyed that, but I do have a question. Can you give me the answer to this? <laughs> you know, which I, I appreciate too. And I'm more than happy to be able to do that by email. I know Dwayne is as well. You can find um, Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter um, and at Dwayne McFarlane, correct? Yep, Yep. at Dwayne McFarlane. McFarlane. Find me on the
1: Fantasy Football Hustle, Pro Football Focus, Establish the Run. Yep, see? All those good places.
0: You know where to find me. We appreciate you uh, listening in and uh, take some time out to uh, let things kind of grow. All right, bye.